Does manual treasury management and operations have your crypto business stuck in the slow lane? Scale up and speed ahead with Fireblocks, the number one platform for crypto operations and trading pros that makes custody, settlement, and rebalancing quick and easy. Visit fireblocks.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Coinbase Prime, an integrated solution that provides institutional investors with an advanced trading platform, secure custody, and prime services to manage all of their crypto assets in one place. Futuristic companies like Tesla and MicroStrategy have used Coinbase's comprehensive investing platform to execute some of the largest trades in the industry. Learn more by visiting coinbase.com prime to get started today. I'd also like to give a shout out to Cross River. Whether you're a crypto exchange, NFT marketplace, or wallet, Cross River's integrated API-based platform provides the payment solutions you need to grow. A CryptoFin industry award winner and an early partner for companies like Coinbase, Cross River's tech stack supports crypto partners and enables real-time money movement for consumers. Welcome to a new world of crypto-friendly banking at crossriver.com crypto. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblockcrypto.com slash terms dash service. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block and recovering from a late night of NFT NYC. Joining us on the other side of the mic in studio are my guests, Evgeny Gavoy, CEO of Wintermute, and The Block's very own VP of Research, Larry Cermak. There's a lot going on in the market. I wanted to get both of you on because I think you guys are, you're the plunge protection team of... <laughs> contextualizing terrible news. So I, th I thought we'd have a fun discussion. Uh, Larry's is the beauty and Evgeny is the brains. And we'll, <laughs> okay. we'll dive right into it. <laughs> so you would say is a beast, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, obviously all three of us have been focused on the market and just being consumers of, of the news flow and the information flow, trying to stay on top of everything. And, I think the one question I have that is maybe on the mind of everyone in the market right now is how big was the impact? Like, do we have a number for that? Do we have a number of firms? How can we contextualize for the listener? It seems like every single firm, lending firm got hit. What are you guys seeing? Maybe we start with Larry. <laughs> Yeah, I think like the impact seems really massive. I mean, just started with Terra, obviously, that didn't affect lending too much, but but kind of sent the market into a downward spiral. And as the prices just kept going down, certain players started getting into trouble. We found out about Three Arrows and, and their kind of levered exposure. We also found out that they had a bunch of uncollateralized loans with basically almost every lending provider in the space. And the impact isn't completely clear when it comes to size, maybe Evgeny has a has a better sense. 
the numbers I've heard is roughly around 1.5 to 2.5 to billion in terms of actual debt that Three Arrows has. And the firms that are affected, you know, it's like you said, it's almost everyone. Uh, Genesis was hit. Basically, all the, all the other firms like BlackFi had exposure, Babel had exposure. And then we keep finding out about other firms that were using Three Arrows for the yields that they were promising. And then it goes to Voyager and, and other companies. So so the impact is really massive. And, you know, not only did the prices go down massively, but now there's a lot of debt. And it seems like, you know, Three Arrows looks like they will default on most of it now. Uh, and that's obviously sending more uncertainty to the market. Lending providers are struggling. Retail facing yield products and lending products are struggling. You know, obviously Celsius is, has still stopped the withdrawals. BlockFi had a lot of issues until... FTX stepped in. The impact is enormous. I think we could talk about this for probably hours of like everyone that has been impacted, but it kind of exposed how much leverage there was in the system and how much trust there was in three arrows. I think that's a great summary. Evgeny, you're probably happy you don't run a lending book at this point. <laughs> well, I mean, definitely. Um, <laughs> I, th- I think that the number will be way above the billion, to be honest. Like just from hearing, like what we know, it's I think it's already sums about roughly to two, and there will be definitely like more spillover effects. And uh, I don't think like we will see like a lot of big casualties, but I think there are like a lot of smaller firms in the background that nobody will even even knows about that will quietly die, <laughs> like funds. Uh, not even funds. Like, I mean, we've seen those threats from like trading firms that operated under Three Arrows umbrella, for example. We've heard yeah. the rumors about uh, protocols uh, giving them treasury to manage. And so, like, we won't hear about a lot of them, to be honest, because like they're all under the radar. And that's that to me is also kind of tragic because a lot of those would be startups almost, pretty much. And now yeah. they're, they'll be dead because, yeah, because of this trust thing. And yeah. It's 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 obviously quite ironic because yeah we like our space is I know, trustless but yeah everything still runs on trust and a, a little a little yeah. too trustless yeah but yeah it's like trustless in a yeah different sense of the word unfortunately <laughs> yeah meaning a lack of, you know yeah there being a deficit of D Y O R what I think is really interesting is that like Evgeny said we just don't know the impact and we likely will not know it for a long period of time like Voyager just came out today obviously and said they have roughly like 600 650 million dollars three arrows owes them but we don't know how much you know Genesis lost we don't know how much BlockFi lost Uh, we don't know how much Babel lost how much like all these other firms lost it's basically just speculations and Maybe there's some estimations, but, you know, the numbers are still kind of unknown and it's really crazy. Like Evgeny said, you know, it was trading firms, it was lending firms, it was protocols. Like we basically found out that Three Arrows, it was like the lifeblood of uh, of a lot of these a lot of these things. No one knew about this. Were they like behind these juicy yields that these retail platforms could offer? If you look at like all the free market lending platforms like you look at Ave compound you look at like the rates that genesis was providing you know you're probably at around like one to two percent maximum and then you look at all these like retail facing platforms like celsius uh nexo you know whoever else even voyager and they're offering like 10 to 15 percent so probably right like that yield has to come from somewhere and now we're like slowly finding out some of it was from risk defi strategy some of it was from from yield farming 
But now we're increasingly finding out that Three Arrows was behind some of this. Like now it's very obvious that it was providing the yield for the Voyager product. And we're finding out that these were unsecured loans, which I don't think really anyone knew. Like Frank, you and I talked to the CEO of Voyager, you know, a month yeah. ago, basically. And and he told us this is where the yield comes from. But we had no idea that this was uncollateralized loans. And I don't think anyone really knew that. <laughs> like, at least we would have thought that him and others. And, and that's what's so shocking and, and almost eye-watering about this entire situation is fooled is too strong of a word. But they fooled everyone, uh, except for Evgeny, was caught on the wrong side of this. <laughs> and so what's interesting to me is, and maybe I, we can get Wintermute's perspective on this, did anyone look more than surface deep at these guys' balance sheet? Was it just like, oh, I'm Sue and Kyle. Okay, you're great. Pass KYC, pass all that. You're a great counterparty. You're good to go. How can that happen? Well, the, the challenge is because, well, exactly because it's not a decentralized system. It's not like super visible like it would be on a blockchain. Like, Basically, the three arrows would come to, well, let's say Genesis, for example, say, okay, I'll borrow, I don't know, half, half a billion from you guys and say, okay, like, fine, uh, go for it. And then they can make rounds with, I don't know, five or six other lenders do the same thing. They might, for example, borrow it against a different entity, so they wouldn't necessarily see it on a balance sheet. Also take into account that those lenders are not talking to each other, most likely, because it's all obviously competitive. It's competitive, so, yeah. Because like nobody is not going to say, oh, I'm lending 500 mil to Three Arrows, because then they might go after Three Arrows and try Is it to, possible, yeah. not to interrupt you, but is it possible for, let's say, one of their holding or affiliate companies like TPS, which is their market-making type of unit or OTC unit, could they have borrowed from, let's say, Genesis, okay, pass that money along to Three Arrows, so now it looks like Three Arrows has $5 million in cash on their balance sheet? Yeah, I mean, that's it. Like, we don't even know whether Three Arrows has been truthful representing their balance sheet because, like, I don't think there was any audit behind it, for example. So they could have sent, like, whatever numbers and and we'll know, like, maybe, maybe there is a fraud case there as well. Like, who knows? Like, I'm purely speculating. I haven't seen any balance sheet yeah. from Three Arrows at all, but... Like it would be a possibility as well, because like from us, we are doing, well, not, I wouldn't say the same, but like we are also borrowing uncollateralized from all, all the same lenders and we are showing our balance sheet. And that's pretty much the only proof they can provide because our business is very complex. Like we are trading on all the centralized exchanges. We have a bunch of those loans. We have, I don't know, this market making for protocols and we are trading on DeFi. It would be like close to impossible for somebody to map it together and understand what our real leverages, even if they had access to all our exchange wallets and uh, decentralized wallets, it would be like super complex. So they have to rely on us to provide them, well, truthful data in, in the form of balance sheet. That sounds scary. Yeah, but even on top of that, I mean, there are rumors, like again, you said, like, these are just rumors, but there are rumors that Three Arrows was taking loans, like, you know, a few weeks before this incident from like, you know, their trusted partners. They're like friends, effectively, like close firms to them. And some of them claim that they kind of overstated the AUM and, and they also didn't disclose these like risky overlevered positions, right? So you also run into this issue of like, if you're lending from a firm that is really close to you or from partners that you work with for years, like they're probably not going to second guess, yeah. you know, 20 to $50 million Bitcoin loan because you've just worked with them for a while. And that I think is the problem is that a lot of these counterparties, a lot of these lenders, they didn't know, they didn't have visibility into 
you know, that they had this potential issue. And I think we're going to probably gradually find out more about that as this gets probably talked about more in Singapore. I have almost no doubt that this will go into court, obviously, as like there are going to be lawsuits yeah. and eventually we'll find out exactly what it was. But but right now it seems very obvious, at least from, from the companies I've talked to, that they really had complete blindness into what the book looked like. And it was only Sue and, and Kyle who had visibility into that. Well, because it's such a small company, right? Like it's sub ten people. Such a small company. No, it was like five. Yeah. It was like four or five. It was it was super small. And I remember when we were in Lisbon last year, there were speculations that they're at like twenty billion AUM. But the more that like I talk to people, the more that I find out, like a lot of these estimates are probably massively overstated. And also, what I always assumed, and also the reason why I was so skeptical when we found out for the first time, is that. The general consensus was that this was mostly their capital. It was not like that known that they would be, you know, taking on on loans in this size. And then I mostly assumed that, you know, most of it was like was collateralized in some way. Uh, I couldn't have predicted this. And, and I remember Frank when you messaged me last Monday. Are you gonna like, eat? Are you gonna eat crow right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought like that was the most ridiculous rumor I've heard. And you know, I've been in crypto for like five or six years or something full time, and you know, Celsius, I believed, uh, Voyager yeah. issues, BlockFi issues, like all oh, that was kind of obvious. But this was like something that really caught me off guard. I don't know about Evgenia, but like I wouldn't have guessed this. And and the more I kind of learn from different parties, the more like shocked I am that this is even possible. Like it's it's really like there was so much lies and deception. Yeah. yeah it's, it's just shocking yeah. to me, honestly. Are you surprised by the deception? I mean, yeah, that's saying like, I mean, in hindsight, if you think about it, okay, yeah, <laughs> five guys running 20 billion books, something wrong about it. I guess, like, part of it is crypto in general, like, basically putting a pedestal firms that are running with, like, not thousands of people, but, like, I don't know, a few dozens. Like, if you look at, like, who is getting, like, praised for this, yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool. Like, yeah, if you can manage so much money with so little people that you're doing things efficiently and smartly. And I guess everyone with, with all the psyops of uh, Sue, like everyone kind of assumed, okay, those guys just made billions over the years, so they must have them. But now it seems like, yeah, we're just all horribly wrong. <laughs> like, because for me as well, like people texting me like on Monday or whatever, yeah, is three arrows going down? I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what Larry said. It's like it's impossible. I was like, Frank, this is like, who are you talking to? This is this is stupid. Then he made a joke. He was like, Yeah, I heard they're uh, starting a FX fund now. <laughs> <laughs> so let's kind of like think about, or maybe speculate on what happens next from a three arrow specific perspective, but also a market perspective. I hear some institutional lending firms are pulling back loans, going back to. 2019. They're obviously scaling back. They're getting more conservative on a micro level for like a training firm like Wintermute. What does it mean when your lenders are not giving you access to the same amount of debt that you otherwise would need to function? Yeah. So it's well, probably the biggest deleveraging event that I've witnessed in my so far, entire, whatever, entire since the financial crisis uh no i mean just for crypto like maybe, okay. maybe in financial crisis it was similar kind of magnitude but like for crypto crypto wise yeah it's it's way bigger than previous like massive drops that we've seen so like for us specifically and i can be very open about it we basically got recalled on pretty much all open loans that we had with those lenders wow. and the reason is everyone just wants to see who is solvent in this in this market <laughs> and 
that's basically the best way to check it because yeah like once you recall <laughs> all the loans and you give like all the firms like one or two weeks like you probably will see some of them failing collapsing and that's it and so yeah our balance should pretty much decrease like more than more than half basically holy uh, shit and I mean, it helps that that we well we have quite some capital of our own, and it also helps that we kind of pre- prepared for this already since Luna. And like the best way you can prepare for it is not to lock your money in long term bets. And I think that's what Three Arrows did as well, unfortunately. Like because they, they had money in uh, staked ETH, they had money in uh, GBTC, and basically what like how we prepared ourselves was just not to put anything into uh, like a liquid long-term bets on uh, like some longer-term future positions, op- option positions, something we would need to hack out if when those, those calls come. So like unfortunate situation for us is like over the last week or so, we just had to be very selective with the opportunities that we execute on. And I think that's, that's the case for most firms. Having trouble keeping pace with the crypto boom? When your business is scaling up and your portfolio is growing, you don't want to waste precious time on manual treasury management or settling in rebalancing. Fireblocks can handle that for you with smart, scalable solutions for your crypto business, along with industry-leading security and expertise. They'll take care of the back end so you can focus on the big picture. Visit fireblocks.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Coinbase Prime, an integrated solution that provides institutional investors with an advanced trading platform, secure custody, and prime services to manage all their crypto assets in one place. Coinbase Prime fully integrates crypto trading and custody on a single platform and gives clients the best all-in pricing in their network using their proprietary smart order router and algorithmic execution. Futuristic companies like Tesla and MicroStrategy have already used Coinbase's comprehensive investing platform to execute some of the largest trades in the industry. Build a unified investment portfolio with one of the most trusted names in crypto. Learn more by visiting coinbase.com prime to get started today. This episode is brought to you by Cross River. Building the next big thing in crypto? Then it's time to get your fiat on and off ramp solution from Cross River. Whether you're a crypto exchange, NFT marketplace, or wallet, Cross River's integrated API based platform provides the payment solutions you need to grow. Cross River is powering the future of financial services. A crypto fin industry award winner and an early partner for companies like Coinbase, Cross River's tech stack supports crypto partners and enables real-time money movement for consumers. Welcome to a new world of crypto-friendly banking. Request your fiat on and off-ramp solution now at crossriver.com crypto. Do you think the liquidity crisis in crypto is over or just getting started halfway through? Where are we? Well, define liquidity crisis, I guess, like from the perspective of lenders collapsing and getting bailed out by well, different uh, <laughs> different interesting parties, uh, I think it's close to being over. But I think like what we will see now is, well, for example, venture side is one, one interesting component because, well, a lot of venture funds are way below their watermark at the moment. Mm-hmm. So I think like, the next step would be basically a lot of venture activity will pause or seize, which is obviously very key 
to crypto ecosystem because that's literally how those protocols are starting to exist, starting to, to operate. And we'll probably see a lot of pressure on tokens and protocols owned by three arrows or owned by well, the, basically those those funds or firms that participate in the seed rounds because like I think a lot of those positions will be taken over and they'll be taken over potentially by parties that well not necessarily interested in staying staying <laughs> staying in crypto but they just want to like recuperate the well the investment because it will like buy those assets at fire sale and they will just sell them in the market. Yeah I think that's a really good point. You know there's there's a bunch of like long term positions that three arrows is vesting. Like Evgeny said, like they have a big avalanche position, near positions. Obviously, they had a huge Luna position as well. Uh, so a lot of this, like Evgeny said, will likely go into someone that's going to be super agnostic to what happens with these tokens or just try to squeeze any liquidity out of them. And on top of that, you have a lot of like private equity deals as well, right? Like they invested a lot of money into Starkware, uh, which obviously has a ton of value. Also, big Deribit positions. There are already some rumors that some of these have already been sold OTC, but I guess we'll start finding out about that in due time. But there will be a large impact just from that. But I think Evgeny is right overall is that most of the kind of lending impact and and short-term contagion, I think, should be over mostly. There just isn't that much more that can happen at this point. And maybe a quick follow-up question for Evgeny is like, what do you think about these like almost like lenders of last resort? Um, mostly it's been FTX and Alameda so far, but like them stepping in and, and saving these companies, do you think it's mostly because they just, you know, are trying to get good value for cheap? I'm sure there's some conversion into equity as well from these loans. Or do you think it's mostly just to save kind of the reputation of the of the crypto space? Like like if BlockFi blew up or if, if Voyager blew up, I'm guessing that would make their lobbying efforts much more difficult in the U.S. So I'm just curious, again, you know, like, what, what do you think about that? What do you think is the primary motivation? And are you supportive of, of those things? Or, or do you think is it, it's better to just, like, let them die? <laughs> well, starting with first, like, I personally believe that, like, whatever FTX Alameda is doing in this situation, it's, well, it's primarily focused on trying to get value out of it because I don't think they would be well altruistic <laughs> just to bail companies out that I expected to fail. I think they definitely they definitely see synergies with the companies they're bailing out. I'm pretty sure it will be followed by something like some potential equity investments or even mergers, who knows? It's way too early to, to say, but that kind of play would make sense from what I observed from those guys uh, over the years. And obviously it's it will have a stabilizing effect on the space uh, in general because yeah, like it will definitely save quite some retail folks who would otherwise be down uh, from BlockFi, for example. But you can also see that, well, they're trying to be quite selective. Like There are a lot of firms failing, but they're picking the ones that they probably see as, as the biggest, uh, well, resembles the most quality side of the space, basically. And whether it's positive or not positive to let them fail yeah it's a very good question like i guess in general my view on this particular crisis okay like big part of it is obviously driven by macro but basically all the recent downticks and the recent bitcoin has been so volatile well last week is primarily because we have centralized entities being involved in this decentralized space in the first place because we 
well, basically, UST would not have gotten to 20 billion AUM without centralized entities repackaging it to retail, like using various centralized methods. And basically, all, all the failing firms, like Three Arrows, obviously, very centralized, Celsius, very centralized. So basically, those firms, they helped the market grow, but they now, now they're exacerbating the, the fall as well. So they definitely bring more more volatility in the space so whether to let them die or not yeah it's a it's a very philosophical question i would say like well from my libertarian views uh, i would probably say it would make sense to let at least some of them fail but ultimately with the way alameda approaches it well alameda ftx approaches it i think it's much more calculated and from that perspective i don't have an issue with that because yeah you gotta do what you gotta do to make money that's fine I also find it interesting that, you know, it's it's basically just FTX and Alameda so far, like other giants like Binance or Coinbase, they've been pretty quiet so far in terms of like just just picking up some of these companies. It's a good point. It makes you think about like the juxtaposition between FTX and Coinbase right now is pretty stark. And when you think about what the market will look like coming out of this crisis, FTX Alameda was already sort of at the center, but now this is certainly cementing their position at the center of the market. Yeah, I mean, they also just have a massive cash position, right? They were kind of the company that kept raising more money. And regardless of all this crisis that we have right now, they were positioning themselves for a market like this and, and for the ability to scoop up some of these opportunities. They have a lot of cash. They're relatively efficient. They, they spend a ton on marketing, but... In terms of you know personnel, for example, like you compare FTX to Coinbase, it's an enormous difference. And and these firms like Binance and FTX are now in a better position to just be stronger in this market without having to do a lot of layoffs. But it is interesting that someone like you know Binance is not being as aggressive. I'm guessing it's mostly because of FTX's bigger plans for the U.S. and their presence in the U.S. and also obviously Sam's involvement in in Washington, in, in the lobbying efforts. I do suspect that a big part of why they're doing this is because if regulators see BlockFile fail, and it's you know in hundreds of millions of losses to retail customers, that's significantly worse than Celsius failing, which was not a primarily US-based platform. Same with Voyager, right? Like you kind of can't deny their focus on, on the US retail-facing companies at this point. And I think that's by design, but obviously I'm speculating. No, that's, that's actually a really good point. Yeah, I think there is definitely this political component and like I'm pretty sure FTX does want to, well, they're already fighting a pretty immense fight on the regulatory side. Like they don't want to make their lives more difficult by, yeah, like hundreds of thousands of retail people complaining to, well, <laughs> complaining to FBI or something like this, uh, or SEC, uh, which would be even worse, I guess. I would imagine Binance is much more focused on Asia region in that regard. So yeah. like, if you look at Babel, I wouldn't be surprised if it gets rescued by likes of Binance or, I don't know, maybe Justin Sun, I don't know, who knows. <laughs> and with regards to Coinbase, I think Coinbase is just, they've been so busy with the recent like Coinbase-centric news that they probably yeah decided to wait this out. The problem is it's like those bailouts are pretty huge, I think. Both FTX, Binance, and Coinbase even, they, they definitely sit prepared enough capital and waiting on sidelines. And to be honest, even us included, to to wait for like much smaller targets to acquire or to 
to rescue basically like I don't know five, ten, fifteen million checks that potentially would save some like smaller firms, but for example, like these great teams of great tech. And we will see a lot of them struggling potentially in the coming months. And I think like there is a quite quite a lot of dry powder sitting waiting for that as well. I have one more question. What do you think will be like the long-term impact of, of these events right now? Do you think that this will like impact some of the yield products that maybe we're not going to say like normalizing 10%, but mm. maybe we're just going to say, hey, like three to 5% is fine. Do you think there will be other impact on kind of like you said, like companies just being more suspectful of, of some of these risks? Uh, like Frank was kind of alluding to, like maybe doing more diligence checks of balance sheets. Like what do you think overall will be the impact of the last two months on the future of crypto? And, and do you think that it, it actually will make it stronger? Some of these really like almost black swan events. Well, I would want to believe that we'll come up with some kind of decentralized solution for this because I mean, there are already a bunch of protocols that are doing decentralized uncollateralized lending, for example. And like the good thing about them is actually it's visible for everyone how much I don't know, Wintermute or Amber or Alameda is borrowing from those. So that that part is actually super transparent. So and that's everyone can see it, including centralized lenders. Like the part that's that's been very inefficient and intransparent is uh yeah, the lending books of big centralized players so they would they would have to find some kind of way to either coordinate or like find a trusted third party to i don't know aggregate this and maybe warn everyone okay you know guys like this this proctrain firm has like insane exposure to all of you maybe you should do something about it i think that that would be interesting way to go another obvious way to go is regulation and then like we can all obviously all get regulated especially the lenders with like just based on how much they can lend, for example, in unsecured basis. Because yeah, if you look at TreadFi space, it's a very, yeah, it's a pretty regulated activi- activity and it's pretty, yeah, it is also transparent, but it's like there are a lot of checks and balances in place from regulator side. I was surprised to see Ryan Selkis come out during a recent spaces on Twitter and say that we need to increase regulation on these retail brokerage platforms given the risk that's sitting behind them and decrease the amount of regulation that would oversee or pertain to decentralized lending and exchange venues. This is a person who's been very vocal about being anti-Gensler, anti-regulation, and before the crisis went out on Fox and all sorts of different outlets talking about this. But even he's calling for more regulation. So I feel like it's inevitable that... These brokers are going to have to either take a lot of risk off the table, which means less yield, which means probably less interest from customers, or they're going to have to structure themselves similarly to a bank or something. Yeah, I think I I think I agree with that generally. Is uh, what I think is definitely important, and then what needs to change is that these like retail facing lending and yield platforms like like Nexo, Crypto.com. BlockFi and all of these Celsius as well. It's really ridiculous that they position the yield as like something like unbank yourself. Like this is like a sure thing that like almost all of their ads and all their marketing is focused on this. Like, hey, you're you're making yield and it's relatively low risk. And behind all of that, they're doing these like really sophisticated, risky DeFi strategies, risky yield farming, mm-hmm. you know, borrowing on, on centralized exchanges, some of these even under collateralized loans. Uh, you know, using Luna, for example, like Celsius was lucky enough to exit in time. But 
how crazy is that that like on top of these products you have this yeah. marketing that's like this is very low risk like you guys should use this because it's decentralized it's like this is defound bank yourself well the debank yourself is just such utter complete bullshit yeah. <laughs> it's literally yeah, exactly. a bank it's literally everything they do their former chief financial officer linkedin oh it's way worse if you look at his linkedin it's like a list of all of the functions he oversaw and it was OTC trading structured products. I'm like, how the fuck is that debanking yourself? You're literally, that's literally yeah. the stuff that a bank does. Yeah. So I, I, I'm not a huge believer in like massively increasing regulation, but I, I am a huge believer of like, this needs to change. There needs to be some oversight of how truthful they are in disclosing some of these risks, which products they're using, you know, and maybe even like risk scoring. I think like it's it's absolutely crazy that a lot of these people in Celsius were like completely blindsided. Same with BlockFi, everyone else, you know, and, and, and also in this environment when you're earning like 10% APY, because there's not enough visibility right now, a lot of people are just withdrawing funds because it's not worth the risk when you don't know what the health of their book is or when you don't know what they're doing in the background and how much bad that they have. So I think that this absolutely has to change. But I would agree with Selkis that like decentralized protocols, those should be less regulated, obviously. And those should, we should push for transparency, I think, instead of regulation and some sort of uh, oversight over how much they're fulfilling that. No, I, I and I agree as well. Like I'm, I'm not a big fan of regulation, as some people know. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you think about the yeah, centralized crypto lenders, they kind of do the worst of two worlds in there because they do put your money in DeFi strategies, but they do it in a way that is completely transparent, and you actually have no idea where they go. Removing well the transparency factor and the freedom factor that DeFi offers, and at the same time they don't offer any protections that well, normal bank would give you in terms of, well, being regulated and also having some kind of insurance on your accounts. So, yeah, it's it doesn't look great. One more question I have for you, Evgeny, is what do you think the impact on DeFi will be? So, like, on one hand, obviously, this is almost like an advertisement for DeFi because you have more transparency, you have more easy ways to check if, if these protocols are healthy. But on the other hand, a lot of these centralized protocols, centralized companies like Celsius or, or Nexo, all of these all of these have basically been one of the biggest customers of these DeFi protocols, right? Like th this was effectively a, a retail facing front end uh, that used a ton of Aave, Compound, even Yearn and a lot of these protocols. So what do you think the impact for DeFi will be after after all of them kind of de mm, I think overall it will be... So, okay, one thing I can see how it will be helpful is at the moment, well, basically previous one half years or two years, we actually didn't know whether there was a product market fit for a lot of decentralized protocols because, yeah, if if big chunk of your TVL is, I don't know, theoretical Celsius, like, have you really achieved the product market fit? Because, like, it's just some, it's basically your product being repackaged. So, now they will actually see like what real TVL is there, what real use cases there. Like we'll probably see better yields on average because like there, there will be much less of those centralized players being involved in this. And it would also force them to actually work on something to make it usable by basically by people who are not necessarily like crypto native, for example, because I think like a lot of protocols potentially grew complacent because they saw, okay, we have like billions of TVL, uh, let's chill and relax because everything is going fine. Now they will see like a big chunk of it disappearing and will be forced back to building. So that's nice. 
And I guess to me, yes, that's that's the main main outcome of this. Can I ask you a tough question? Yeah. Or put you in the hot seat? So when everyone's talking about how this, you know, shines a light on how DeFi is is more transparent, less opaque than centralized finance from a retail and institutional perspective. Both can get burned bad in centralized crypto markets because of the lack of transparency. You guys are moving into retail to an extent with a Ethereum-based DEX, which will ultimately aggregate across different sources of liquidity. Is that the problem that you're kind of in centralized crypto world, marrying the more risky institutional stuff with the retail? And do you think that risk exists in a similar relationship in DeFi world where a firm like Wintermute is also now touching retail? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess like it, it makes sense to explain a bit because like we, we didn't we did some communication about it, but it I think it was it kind of like drowned in, uh, in negative negative news news of the last two weeks. But yeah, we have like what what we are doing. We are incubating a decentralized protocol. The ultimate goal is basically be an aggregator. I mean, actually, let let me rephrase it. Like that would be the first goal to, for it to be aggregated. But the like philosophical and well mission kind of thing is, we want to create a protocol that will allow for a seamless way transfer of value across blockchains effectively, and it will do it by integrating with other Dex protocols. It will be completely decentralized, and like while Wintermute is incubating it, Wintermute will have some stake in it, but it will be nowhere near controlling stake. So the goal is for it. To basically help it fly and then well let it fly on its own like and say three to six months much like well you've seen other big prop train firms uh, doing with some protocols as well and that's our first foray into this like the goal is obviously for this protocol to be relying on wintermute in terms of liquidity to a degree but relying like much more on overall DeFi ecosystem for liquidity and wintermute being just like a jump start kind of thing Got it. Well, guys, I think that's, um, I think we covered most of what's being discussed out there. Hopefully this is the end of the carnage, but if it's not, we'll have you back on, both of you, <laughs> for another discussion. We've been joined again by Larry Cermak and Evgeny Gavoy. So good to have you both on. They already know where to find you guys, so we'll skip over that part. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Frank. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. It was fun Doom chatting. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be back with you guys again with another great episode of the show. Have a great day. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblockcrypto.com slash terms dash service.